maybe you win to a championship one day. Get that gold jacket like I never got. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives a shit? Episode 4, Beans and Gravy, on to the finals. This week's episode, we're going to dive into the Moneyball playoffs. We're down to the final two teams. We're going to talk about the playoffs, having joined us for about a week or so. And then we're going to break down those playoff teams that are no longer in contention in the championship, talk about some of their best moves, maybe some questionable moves, and then we're going to preview the championship matchup. Come aboard. Episode four, Veans and Gravy, on to the finals. We had a, a, a week and a half, two-week break. Jeff Graves punching that clock on Sundays like Carson Wentz. So we had to, uh, we had to take a couple, uh, couple weeks off. But we are back. Jeff, how are you doing? Uh, good. I'm glad I had two weeks to uh, lick my wounds from being the seventh-place finisher and, and haven't had to talk fantasy baseball for a while. Yeah, I mean, it kind of matched up that there would not be a lot of animosity on here with the two hosts having a uh, an, an early exit in the playoffs and in my situation and you getting shut out. So maybe it's best for our viewers that we had a little bit of time to let the dust settle and we can really give them honest perspective. So maybe the break was good. Yeah, it's definitely not going to hurt our uh, bias, unbiased opinions here. So. <laughs> so beans and gravy, we're back. Playoffs are in full swing. Uh, we haven't had a, a podcast to kind of break down the matchups. So we're going to go take a look at the, the, the last few weeks, uh, talk about those matchups a little bit. And then uh, we're going to peel back the onion of those teams that are no longer in championship contention. Uh, maybe take a look at some of their, their top moves they made, maybe some questionable moves. And we'll, we'll break down the four teams that made the playoffs, but ultimately aren't going to hoist that uh, championship belt. Mm. So, we look at that first round, Jeff, and all Clintonians, five, two, seven, three, two, represent. We like it. Just how we like it. Yep. So we had a, a, a three, six matchup between Brendan and Grant, uh, and then a four, five matchup in terms of seeds, uh, myself versus uh, Nicholas Francis Bopes. So let's, let's talk about that Grant and Brendan matchup. What was your thoughts on that? Um, a lot closer than I would have thought. Uh, Grant's magical run uh, finally ran out of steam, but uh, man, just looking back at it, Brendan only beating him by one RBI, three strikeouts, tying and wins. Uh, you know, even ERA and WHIP 0.25 away and ERA like one one earned run. This could have completely changed, and and Grant's magical run could have continued, but uh, unfortunately, you know, Cinderella's shoe ended up remaining lost and and the slipper it, it just couldn't be worn any longer bears bear caught fishes giant size 12s uh no longer fit in that slipper so yeah tough break yeah i think it does show the value though the potential shock that can happen you just got to get in i think both of us felt like brendan had the upper hand in terms of a, a better team but you know any given week anything can happen so I think it was definitely a lot closer than we expected. And not only that, it was close that that Sunday was a lot of fun watching that matchup. I believe Max Scherzer had a huge start that really propelled Brendan 
uh, to a comfort level that he was going to win that matchup, but very, very close. So that was an exciting one. And then yes. on the other, go ahead. The other, go ahead. No, I was just going to say two weeks ago, I kind of forgot about that Sunday. Both of those matchups were back and forth quite a bit. Uh, I even think your matchup too, same thing, same kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a, a, the matchup between me and Bobes was was relatively close at the end. Uh, he had a pretty big advantage that Monday that I played him. I had three players get hurt that I had to replace, and as well as uh, two two people that usually start the start uh, in a given week. Uh, they rode the bench, so he got a, a day advantage from a hitting perspective, and I just never could make it up. Team didn't play that bad. I, I at least made him earn it. I, I guess that's the good thing. Um, but it did get, it did get close. I think it was five, four, one, um, at some point uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, and then I, the average was really close home runs. We were, we were tied at one point and I was only off by two RBIs. So, you know, looking back at it, it's tough. I mean, one home run and maybe one hit, uh, really could have changed the, that matchup, but ultimately I, I think he had the better team. Um, I'm okay losing to Nick on that one. I think his team uh, was the rightful team to move on, but they were incredibly close. And I think that's, what's great about the first round is you have those three, four, five, and six seeds really battling out to take on the, the teams that got the buy. So I think we got everything that we wanted in those matchups. I think the two rightful teams moved on. Um, but I would say uh, both me and Grant put our best foot forward uh, team gave a, a good chance. Just didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the uh, the scores, those four teams all like put up very similar weeks, um, anywhere from 35 to 43 runs, uh, 11 to 14 home runs, 38 to 40 RBIs, like everyone was in the same ballpark. So uh, no matter how those matchups would have shaken out, you were going to get a good close battle anyway. So yeah, I, I feel the right teams were in there other than mine not being in, but uh, <laughs> that's besides the point. I actually... Made sure to set a lineup all day last week because I wanted to be able to point out if I had smoked anyone, but uh, I had a shit week anyway, so none of it mattered. You have issues, my friend. The Are ghost, you? the ghost lineup. How, how's your team <laughs> performing this week? Ah, uh, I don't know. I haven't set a lineup. Got way, way other important things to do, uh, such as lose a bunch of money on NFL uh, bets. So no big deal. Yeah. For, for, for season two, I'm about to get a nerd alert drop to uh, to land on you when I find out you're playing ghost lineup. So yeah. anyways, so then we move on to the uh, the semifinals. Uh, so Durst as the number one seed, uh, locked horns with Bopes. And then we had on the other side of the bracket, Brendan as a three seed playing uh, Jake as the two seed. This was kind of a tale of, of, of two different matchups. The Durst-Bopes matchup, Though close at the beginning, uh, I think there was a, both of us were kind of thinking uh, Bopes had a fantastic start from Sandy Alcanto, and mm. uh, Durst had a not so good start with you Darvish. It really looked like Bopes put a, 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 the first big move in that matchup. And I was thinking your pre prediction of, of Nick getting through looked like it was going to come from to fruition, uh, Rest of the week did not go as well, and Durst ended <laughs> to up say the least. And this is this is tough for me because talking about my matchup with Nick, I think he was the better team, and we're going to break down his kind of season in just a second here. But this one's tough when 
he just had a terrible week, you know? I mean, there's nothing he could have done. I don't think there was any move that he didn't, that he could have, any lever he could have pulled them to make that matchup better. It was just a good team having a bad week. And you can't do that in the championship rounds, especially against a team that's seated higher than you. Uh, you, you know, best case, you have a bad week, you're going to tie. You certainly aren't going to win that way. And I just think that's one of those situations where you had a, a solid team with a combination of players. It just didn't work out. And didn't have yeah. Um, let, let me let me be the first to apologize to our number one seed, uh, Durst. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think he was going to take it down. Um, he was kind of limping into the playoffs a little bit. Um, and then he just destroyed a team. Uh, 9-0-1, it's about as bad as it can get, but... Um, man, I was feeling great about Nick, especially on Monday. He got, like you said, they got that uh, Sandy Alcantara start. And I, I even sent him a picture of uh, from the movie Grease of John Travolta <laughs> doing the, oh, Sandy. Like I said, and he's like, I don't get it. He had no idea. He had no idea he was being set up for a great start. Maybe, maybe that's part of what slipped. I, I don't know. But uh, all apologies to Durst. Uh, I mean, he put together a, a, a pretty solid week at the end of it, you know, kind of started sluggish, but by the end of it, his numbers were, were outstanding, just like we should have expected for a one seed. So Mr. Well, Durst, my apologies, you know, I'll, I'll put it on wax here on the pod and, and I was wrong. So the gravy apology tour begins. I do we'll think be it's the worth, last time. <laughs> I do think it's worth noting. And this is where we kind of talk about where, opportunity meets luck, right? We, we talked about how close me and Bopes' matchup was, you know, looking at my matchup, again, no one cares about the fifth place matchup. This is the last time I talk about it, but finally, Jeff, I had talked to you the whole season about, I felt like my team just never could put it together, put a huge week up. Uh, I was basically kind of at the mercy of my opponent. If they played well, I usually lost. If they were okay to average, I usually beat them. I actually could have Grabbed my destiny. I had a huge week against Grant, uh, which resulted in uh, uh, me most likely being Durst. I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know if he didn't play certain people or strategically played it to his matchup with with Bobes, but I had a monster week, which was very, very predictable for me in a fifth place matchup. But I think that shows the, you know, no matter how good your team is, you got to have a little bit of luck in there too. Not saying obviously Durst had a great season; he's a number one seed, but you know one home run and a couple RBIs or a couple hits in my matchup with Bopes. Um, you know, he's trying to have to uh, counter that huge week I would have had, but um, I think ultimately, I think ultimately in that one, um, the best overall team one, I, I do think I, I agreed with you. I think I thought Nick had definitely more than a puncher's chance. And I, I, I liked the collection of, of talent he had on that team and it just didn't work out. And that's too bad. The, the one thing, we'd been talking about Nick and I know Nick felt very confident about it too, was the pitching. The pitching was always going to keep him in every single matchup and, and his pitchers, some of them just took a dump, you know, at the worst possible time that, and, and we go back to uh, Durst and his baby blue Jays or whatever. There is nothing more terrifying. I don't think. And I wasn't even involved, but I would watch and I was like, when the blue Jays were rolling, which they've have been the last couple of weeks, it's just terrifying. Like Vlad or Bichette, both of those guys are super capable of like having those two home runs, seven RBI games, things like that. It's just you never feel good about it. So I uh, yeah. I experienced it firsthand last year in the finals. And this was when Vlad had an OK season. Uh, both him and Bichette really took off in that finals matchup. And 
you know, when Vlad, Vlad's hitting a home run, he's getting two RBIs and he's getting two runs because Bichette's on. It's uh, when, when it gets rolling, it's, it's a tough, tough thing to, uh, to fight against. So yeah, tip of the hat to both teams. I think the better team won and uh, yeah, I don't know. Bob says nothing to hang his head about. He had a great season. Um, we were just talking before this about trying to find a bad move he made all year. It's very hard to do. Um, I have nothing, nothing but respect to say for his season. Well, well run uh, outfit this year, I would say. Yeah, we'll break that down a little bit further um, when we kind of talk about each individual playoff team's kind of season recap. But the last matchup we got to talk about in the semifinals was Brendan versus Jake. This one quite a bit closer. Both teams had pretty solid playoff type weeks. Yeah. Um, Jake probably had a little bit better from an offense standpoint. He carried four categories to Brendan's one. Uh, Brendan had some really good ratios. Looks like uh, from a volume perspective, not a ton of K's, but he still beat Jake in win. So uh, that ended up going to Jake 6-4, relatively close. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, like you said, pretty pretty much how I kind of thought things would play out. Um, Jake's offense just, you know, overpowering. Uh, but like you said, Brent, Brendan, not bad number. On normal weeks, those numbers would have carried things. And um, I know this one came down. There were some chances on Sunday where um, I believe Jake sat some guys during the Sunday night game where Brendan might have been able to swing average. Um, something like that, but it still would have, it's still best case scenario would have been five, five. And I think Jake would have taken it. So, um, yeah, that was a, yeah, definitely a good battle though, man. Yeah. Jake ended up winning batting average by 14 points. That'd have been a lot to swing on, on, on one. Well, I'm day. just saying throughout the day, Sunday, I know there's some guys that he just sat and didn't play. I think it's interesting too. So Brendan on, on waiver wire, uh, waiver wire Monday, he drops all three of his closers and picks up starting pitchers. Oh what yeah. Were, what were your thoughts on that? Um, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I usually always check the uh, waiver moves on Tuesday morning. And I was like, what the hell is he doing here? Like, what, this, why is he getting rid of closers? Well, he must've saw something. I know at the beginning of the week, uh, Jake had quite a few more starts than him. Maybe he found that as his best way to, to match up. Jake's got some pretty good closers too, where, you know, saves are oftentimes already a, a, a claim stat. So maybe he was looking at it that way. Um, I don't but yeah, think... I, I get why he did what he did. If you're going to like, who's going to be able to pick those guys up the next week, it's going to be tough. They've got higher contracts. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think he was more worried about his current matchup, which, you know, again, the, the, the picking up people later, you know, possibly crossed his mind, but the one the one tactical thing I had a little bit of issue with is that, you know, Brendan, those are all three really good closers. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not like he dropped three waiver wire guys. And I don't feel like the, the starting pitchers he picked up were that impactful. And I feel like Brendan this whole year has really been using a, a quality over quantity approach, controlling ratios, you know, being uh, competitive in saves. I thought it was a little bit weird of a zag just because, I, I, the pitchers he picked up, I don't think you're going to feel super comfortable starting them. Now, the ratios looked fine when, when it was all said and done, but I didn't think any of those guys were great volume plays. And, and I also think it, it worries me a little bit in that, remember, Jake was the higher seed, so all he needs to do is tie. 
So if you're basically just giving Jake a category right at the start of the week. Yeah, you're um, down two, essentially, you know. I, I, I don't – it it ended up not mattering. And I guess I didn't go back and see if those guys would have gotten um, – Jake ended up getting three saves. I'm not sure if, if those closers would have gotten uh, – He um, wouldn't have gotten there. I, I, I bet it was following that all week, too. So – ultimately it didn't matter i think I, I think it's an innovative approach i can't remember ever seeing that in the playoffs um so you know kudos for Brennan for giving it a shot um, yeah i like him trying something you know yeah, I, I think that just my thought process needing a you know needing to win and not give up uh you, you can't tie in advance i do think that was a little aggressive but if it ultimately wouldn't have mattered then, then in a way he was kind of correct on that um I just didn't love the pickups. If there was a really good pitcher coming back or, you know, a, a, a guy that was hurt, that was $20 that no one could afford and you had to drop a closer. I think I'd have been a little bit more interested. Mm-hmm. I just think, the, I think the guys he picked up, you know, the benefit you get in the wins potential and the case potential, I think there's just as much risk as them burning your ratios um, coupled with handing Jake a category to start off with wasn't my favorite move but i think it also it makes sense it's a it's a it's a it's a calculated gamble calculated risk uh, but ultimately i think on this one i i think these two teams are very very close um but uh, jake moves on which i wouldn't say is predictable but i think this was a great matchup and you know jake's team just just put a better seven days together hats off to brendan uh, another solid showing um but uh one of the best moves on yeah, this, this is uh, one we've talked about now for for three weeks prior. Is is setting this up for for goat versus baby goat? I don't I don't know. Like who the rightful heir to the throne? Jake said it himself. If he beats me, he's the goat. So more at stake here uh, than just the trophy and and the cash money. So yeah, I really I really wish some of these guys would interject some things in their matchups. I just I like a good bet. Like, come on, Brendan. Come wow. on, folks. Do something. Well, Make this the, fun. The 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 waiver the 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 waiver wired period. Man, they want to see who pickups they have, and maybe we'll ultimately see some kind of bet. Some loser kind of does a belly period. shot off the other guy. Come on, <laughs> like that's the kickoff for the draft. We need something. Snorting <laughs> coke off of the other guy's butt. Like, <laughs> let's get crazy. <laughs> So I think we'll I think we'll save the championship talk for the next pod. I think we all kind of understand what's at stake. The two best teams from a, a regular season perspective go through. I think it's a great matchup. There's legacy implications. There's can someone be the first person ever to repeat? And who's going to be the first person to get their fourth title? A lot of things at play here, and, and we're going to break it down next week and, and probably have an interview with the winner. Maybe we even have an interview with the loser. I don't know. We'll see. But we'll really focus on the championship matchup the next pod that we do. So I think for our remainder of uh, this episode. I do have a quick question, Kyle, based on something that came on the chat thread today. The, uh, the, fo- the photo shoot for the guy that lost having to recreate uh, the ESPN body issue photos. Um, who would you most like to see have to do that in our league and why would it be guru? Yeah. I mean, like, it's just 50 shades of guru. That's all I want to see. <laughs> oh man. Just smacking some nine irons, sig in his mouth, naked. Heat- <laughs> heaters, awesome. heaters oh. brat patties, oh. sunlight, 
it's just extreme Amazing. temperatures. I love it. I, I need it all. Yeah. Yeah, we'll set that up. Um, Someone put a bat out there. And Guru, Guru, I know you haven't responded, but we checked the demographics. Don't see I haven't seen that 60 and over category getting some views on here, Guru. So shout out to you, one of our loyal viewers. We know yeah. you're listening. Yeah. And whoever you are in Virginia, come let us know. You can be our next guest. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not a Florida man. We get a Virginia man. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we're still looking for that elusive female to, uh, to view ours. We do have a 12% unspecified. So beans and gravy open for business. I'm pretty sure oh. that female was found in a park uh, today by her stranger boyfriend. Come one, oh. come all to, uh, to, to beans and gravy. So okay. we got the championship matchup that we all want to see. It's going to be great. We're going to break this down a little bit more. Next week. So let's peel back the layers on these, these, playoff teams that have officially been championship eliminated. I know that Brendan and Bopes are, are vying for that third place matchup. So that's still live, but ultimately their championship dreams have been dashed along with myself and Grant. So let's kind of review each of those teams a little bit more in depth on kind of maybe what, what were some so of their best moves? Some were the, some questionable moves, maybe their team MVPs. Let's dive let's, into each of these teams a little bit more. Yeah, let, Let's go with Grant. Like first. Okay. Number six, I'm very, you know, very curious. Let's let's discuss him and, and how his draft played out. Um, I remember thinking that night, and I was shit-canned, so what I do remember could be vague, but he, um, I mean, right away, Kristen Yelich, one of the top five worst guys this year, I'd say, Bus. He's got him, and he's got Anthony Rendon. Two guys that you kept hearing, oh, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. He couldn't ever really do anything with them. That's $90 of money just wasted. So tip of the hat to him for even being competitive enough all year, let alone making it to the playoffs with 90 bucks tied behind your back, you know? Yeah, it kind of reminds me, Jeff, of that season when Brendan spent 60 dollars was on Hanley, didn't get much from him and still made a little bit of a run. So mm -hmm. it, it does happen where you can kind of, maneuver past some of these bad contracts but the fact that he basically spent all of his allotted offensive cash on Rendon and Yelich um yeah I mean those those were those were two tough buys but but he made it through uh, Abreu at $34 was was a decent value not quite the season he had last year uh, but still a good really cornerstone to have yeah. yep good source of power good source of RBI so um, just looking at the the surface of auction, you probably were happy with that threesome of Yelich, Rendon, and Abreu, you know, keeping yeah. your offense afloat. But when two of three of those severely underperformed, uh, yeah, he really battled to make it work. Like I said, I can be bitter towards Grant forever, but what he did this year, no, no knocks whatsoever. Hard to say anything bad. He made it work. I will say from a... Uh, you know, we talked about the offense. I think you could, you know, if we look at our LVP, least valuable player, um, I, I think Yelich or Windone are a, a perfectly viable candidate. I, I will say him rostering and continuing to start Patrick Corbin the entire year was a little bit surprising. Um, I, I think at some point you got to cut your losses and stop starting. I mean, I remember I was playing him. I'm like, yes, please start him. 
Uh, if your opponent is begging you to put that person in, it's probably a good reason for you to have moved on from him. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no. Uh, sometimes you got to learn when to bite the bullet. I know multiple teams that have ran into those types of things. You got um, Durst with BGO. You've got uh, uh, Keston Hero with Jake. Um, whoever it was that spent way too much money on AUNEO Suarez and kept them too long. Mm. Uh, you just got to know, like, just because your guy is a $20 guy does not mean he shouldn't be kicked to the curb. Happens often. And uh, yeah, sometimes that actually benefits you later because it helps you with some trades when you have some cap space and things yeah. like that. So some of the tough things that we talked about, let's talk about some of the positives. Uh, one that really sticks out to me, Jeff, is Julio Urias, $16. Oh, yes, for sure. Great, great season, really helps stabilize his his pitching staff. I think that's someone that he can probably keep next year. Um, I know, uh, you know, some of those, some of those pitchers in that, that price range really disappointed. And the fact that, you know, he identified Urias $16 pitched well all year. I know there was a lot of questions about innings limits and going far into games. Um, you know, that got squashed right off the bat, striking the one, lots of guys out. Great, great the, pickup. The there. one I liked that he did was back in early May, he picked up Wade Miley off waivers. Mm-hmm. And I want to say Miley went on a tear after that for, he probably got 10 to 12 good starts out of him, which you wouldn't expect out of a guy you're uh, spending three bucks on. Yeah, I think, I think as tough as some of the offensive auction moves were, um, I think he kind of made up for that with the, identifying Urias, keeping Zach Wheeler. That was, I wouldn't know that was a great move. Yep. That was controversial in a way because he didn't have a great season last year. Uh, but I think he anticipated pitching being kind of expensive. And I think, you know, Wheeler and Urias, you probably would have been not exactly thrilled having them as your one, two to start the year. I mean, that's one, a one B uh, yeah. on that team. I think that really helped kind of, absorb some of those uh patrick corbin starts yeah it's not uh it's not all looking bad for grant grant will be okay he's got some good keeps for next year got a sixth place finish didn't really help his uh the stigma of the worst playoff record in fact i think it might have gotten even a little worse this year but um it's one more banner that he can hang at his house of the 2001 playoff sixth place guy so 2020, not, not all 2000, 2021, by the way, not 2001. Yeah. Uh, I've so, taken my I've taken my Ambien and I'm starting to get drowsy. <laughs> so an Ambien and a bottle of rose going right now. So <laughs> that that perfect timing. I'm glad you've had an Ambien for the snooze fest where I review my <laughs> team. Um I, I'll be honest with you. I am shocked that I made the playoffs and had the record that I did. If you kind of think of my team. Uh, from the auction auctions auction players that I got, uh, Lindor not a good buy, Devers very solid, uh, Bauer Trevor Bauer on a game per game perspective very good, but obviously we know middle of season what that uh, turned into. Uh, Luis Castillo really really rough at the beginning, got a little better, but you <laughs> really still got... really rough, and you want to talk Castillo and that Bauer? Yeah, <laughs> what are we well, talking? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So, and then on top of that, um, you know, I guess my 
next expense, most expensive player, Eddie Rosario didn't work out either. So you could argue that five of my six most expensive items in the auction um, were not, did not work out. So that's normally not a great uh, recipe for success. But mm. then you look, then you look at my keepers, Jeff, um, Aaron Nola, very up and down season. You never knew what you're going to get. Luke Voigt didn't really play. Uh, Matt Chapman didn't have a great year. Uh, Jose Urquidy was was good on, on a per inning basis, but got hurt um, twice to two IL stents. Uh, Trevor Story was okay, but not the first rounder that you usually get from him. And realistically, my only keeper that I would say was worth the value or at least panned out was Jared Walsh. So mm-hmm. I was kind of, I was kind of doing the math in my head, Jeff, five of six keepers that didn't really work out five of six uh, big expense expenditures in the auction didn't work out. I kind of don't know how I made the playoffs. It was a series of calamities and good luck at the right time. Um, obviously you had a difficult schedule too. We went over that a couple of weeks ago. Um, Sometimes it's just the right guys getting hot at the right time and maybe being able to carry you for a week where you, you, doesn't, you don't need necessarily six offensive players really going at once. You can get by with three if they're having monster weeks. So. And that's probably where I had that feeling, Jeff, where I feel like my team couldn't take on a big week or I couldn't produce a big week uh, was probably just the inconsistencies with my top players and, and the people that I was expecting to get a lot of value from a keeper perspective. That's probably why I felt that way. I will say... You know, my, my fantasy MVP, uh, as shocking as it is, Adam Wainwright for a dollar. If, oh, yeah. if you look at the uh, uh, fan tracks pitching statistics, he was a top five pitcher for me at a dollar at 40 years old. Pretty uh, unreal. That was, that was great. And then Carlos Rodon, uh, a waiver wire pickup I had, um, he really stabilized my, my rotation as well, too. I did try to move him at the deadline. I had a feeling that the innings were going to catch up to him. And with where the White Sox were in the standings, I had a feeling they might start pulling him back and probably go on the aisle at some point, which I was correct on that. So let let me, let me also say something about you and your team Um, as your podcast co-host and, you know, birthday boys, the most Jane Lamb hospital shout out. We had, um, multiple times where I was trying to get you sell me Luis Castillo, sell me uh, Francisco Lindor when they were trash, like absolutely awful. We're talking April, early May. And I was willing to give like a trout, a uh, Acuna type, one of the, my big guns that I had in order to get them. And you wouldn't budge. And it, I potentially probably the right play by you the way Castillo turned things around. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was just, the, the the Lindor part was, you know, selling him at his ultimate low um, was, was tough. And a lot of it during the dealings with you was kind of the ancillary pieces. We brought him up before. I did not want uh, Lord Escuriel. Um, Big mistake. Right? No, I, I still don't want him. Um, but I, I think that that was uh, – I – I think I made the right move on Castillo. Lindor, I end up, you know, you mentioned it at the beginning, you know, the fact that I was able to move him in a deal to get Mookie Betts without really any hesitation, uh, that ended up helping. Um, but yeah, just from a 
leading up to the trade deadline, you know, not having that piece in my lineup because I, I focused on getting a player that could get some speed as well as some power. And there wasn't a lot of them out there uh, from my roster construction. I already had Trevor story. I liked the price on Lindor. Um, I was a little shocked. He was as, as low as he was. I didn't really, I plan on getting a player like that. Um, but obviously allocating those dollars to another player would have been more prudent. And I think that was probably, he'd be my, my, my LVP, my least valuable player. Um, I, I do think some of my better moves I made was the deal with Shaw to get Arenado and Salvador Perez. Uh, my team was really lacking pop. And once I got those two, they really provided a lot of power. And I think when you pull those power, or excuse me, those power rankings, I think I was one of the top home run and RBI teams kind of from the deadline on. Uh, so those are two really good, those are two pieces that I got in that trade that really helped push me into the playoffs and give me at least a puncher's chance. Um, so I was, I was happy with that move. And that was kind of um, one of those last second trade deadline deals where I, again, I had cap space, so I was able to take on Arenado, who was $41, you know, probably not worth that, what he was, what he was currently producing, but he's kind of gotten hot. Salvador Perez giving me an advantage at catcher. Uh, I, I think that was one move that I made that, that if I did end up making a, a miraculous run and win a title, that would have been what I attribute it to. Mm. And then I got to, I got to, I got to call myself out. Uh, my worst move I made was dropping Jorge Polanco. Um, that gentleman, I, I went into the draft. I wanted to get a couple cheap second basemen. I picked up Ty France and him. And I, from a game-by-game game perspective, I could never pick the right one. I think each of them hit home runs always on my bench, and the other one went 0 for 4. Got very, very frustrated. I did try to trade him. If you're going to call me out, I offered you Jorge Polanco for a Clint Frazier, a Ian Happ, even a, a, a big Mike Pineda. Um, so those were, and again, I wanted to do those deals. So, I mean, obviously it speaks where I, I thought Polanco's value was, but ultimately ended up having to drop him uh, to pick up someone from uh, when uh, Voight, I think Voight got back from the, the injury uh, reserve. And don't, don't sleep on that Josh Stalmont for uh, uh, Clint Frazier trade. <laughs> Yeah, give me. I'll, I'll send me one of those Ambien, please. That's gonna make put me to sleep with that deal. But uh, Jorge Polanco is really one of the better players on Jake's team, and might actually be putting on a championship ring in a week. So uh, I missed the boat on that one. Uh, so I feel like that was kind of a move after calling myself out on. So let's jump into the uh, third and fourth place teams that are currently playing. Um, let's break down O'Shea's kind of season. What's Ooh. your thoughts on that? So uh, I, I, I could pull up my file of past keepers, but I don't want to delve into that too much. Um, just looking at his draft, uh, Max Muncy was awful last year. I had him. Um, Brendan ends up getting him for 19 bucks, and he was a cornerstone of his team. I know he put a huge emphasis on having players that were eligible at a bunch of spots. Um, just for that flexibility and always being able to get as many bats as he could get in there. Um, and I think that strategy played well for him. Uh, J.D. Martinez, he rolled the dice on. He was very good. A um, couple other guys, not so much. Mustakis, uh, 
Jeff McNeil, guys that didn't really. But, I mean, he, he, he kind of bought quite a few lottery tickets that were a little cheaper that ended up being cornerstones for his team. Yeah, and, and just kind of looking at his team from the, the draft into how the season played out, uh, he had uh, Lucas Giolito and Corbin Burns as kind of his aces. Didn't really hit on a ton of his pitching beyond that initially. Spent some money on closers. Uh, Savali was okay, ended up getting hurt. Uh, Denelson Lamette didn't really pan out. So, again, you, you were kind of talking about all these teams that made the playoffs. Uh, really weird season in that. I don't think anyone had ready-made go teams, you know, probably Sands, Durst. You can see that there a lot of maneuvering has to take place in the season. Think, didn't we see more trades this year, I want to say, than we've seen ever before? And this could be why is this wonky draft. Like I thought more people were willing to move and do things this year than normal. I think that's fair. I think we probably saw if it wasn't the most in-season non-deadline trades, it definitely was more active than normal. So I, I think your instincts on that is correct. Um, but I think it's it's also very, very interesting that, you know, we've talked about three teams, three playoff teams, and all three of them had some things that didn't look great at, at from auction during the season, and they really tried to clean those up before the, the playoffs. So it is possible. Uh, but Brendan um, did a really good job, and I think he had a, a really good chance to, to win the title this year. And uh, I think we, we talked about it during the deadline special, that move that he made to, to ship uh, Corbin Burns over to uh, DPD's team, uh, getting Marcus Simeon, who's been a, a great asset for him, uh, you know, replacing Burns with, with Woodruff. And at the time, uh, getting Craig Kimbrell a closer, that trade, uh, once it was completed to once the deadline, the actual MLB team, NLB, MLB trade, he ended up going um, to the White Sox and not necessarily getting a ton of saves, but I do think that combination of Simeon and Woodruff uh, with the saves potential that Kimbrell had initially had, I thought that was a really good deal for Brennan and, and he made a quick move on that because everybody, Deagle posted that, uh, he's ready to move those players uh, and he ultimately picked the package that Brennan had. And I think a lot of the reasons he did that was others were asking for other things on top of that. Brennan got the three uh, pieces that, that didn't require him to move a bunch of salary, got the deal done. Yeah, so um, just looking at Nick's draft, uh, NFB, he's looked like he had a plan to spend some money on pitching, um, getting Mad Max. You know, th this, this kind of reminds me of the classic Beatles draft where you don't really take anyone over $40, but you don't really take anyone less than like 15 so you load up on all these middle guys and, you know, oftentimes that makes your team work. It's, it, it plays out. All right. I do remember during the auction, I knew Nick wasn't spending a lot of money, um, you know, particularly on some of those higher ticket items. And I, I remember kind of reviewing the draft as it was going. I know you spent a lot of money early. I know I actually spent quite a bit of money early and, I, and Nick would had that auction dollars available uh, during that kind of mid portion of the draft, and he really picked up some solid values. Well, mid draft, he uh, he had a child who was exorcist throwing up in the room next to us. <laughs> who, uh, yeah, he kind of helped him clean her up. I mean, literally, like cans of pea soup type vomit everywhere. So that might have been why he didn't get in on those ones. 
Well, we'll have to we'll have to get further confirmation if that was draft strategy or just a uh, situation, the environment that he was in, cleaning up uh, pea soup. Um, he had an interesting move, and I think this is this was kind of a really a first in Moneyball League history. We kind of had that early keeper move where Nick had a couple guys get hurt. So Cattell Marte and Luis Robert, Sixto Sanchez, all three young, decent valued auction auction dollars uh, players got hurt. You know, Nick started uh, started the, the season off slow, made that move with Tyler to really shore up his team, grab two closers, grab Walker Bueller, uh, Justin Turner, um, really shored up his team. And I, I think this is something that maybe we'll see going forward where teams know they don't have it or teams that think they're the rest of the roster is good, but they just can't wait for these players to get back, made that quick keeper move, uh, including Wander Franco in that deal and, and really made his team pretty tough right off the bat. Took a situation where he had three, uh, three young guys that were hurt. They wasn't sure when they were coming back and they kind of the, the proverbial lottery ticket and, and Wander Franco. And he moved all three of those pieces to, uh, to get some things to help him immediately. And it ended up paying off for him. Never before in our league's history um, have we had the, the uh, I'll use the word slut because it just sounds right here. The league slut who knew he was finished and was willing to take anything and everybody that would come to him. And uh, yeah, he wouldn't turn down many deals. He would work with you on everything. And he, he's got a war chest of potential keepers going into next year. I remember talking to him at the deadline and he's like, I'd offer him uh, jazz chisholm. Well, he'd be like my ninth keeper. So I'm not going to give up too much for him. Stuff like that. So this guy's feeling really good about going into next year. And he did it based on, you know, selling out completely and, and being taken advantage of. So, and I think too, strategy, I hope leads to other people doing things like that. Well, and I think too, more than ever, I, I think the keepers that people have, I, I just don't see, we think we're seeing the teams that I, I know when we got done with, with, with seasons going to the next season, like, wow, there's five or six teams with some awesome keepers. I don't think we're going to see that as much. And the fact that Tyler clearly has really good tea keepers and the rest of the league probably has a couple good keepers. I think that will even distance him more going into next year that he's going to have some really, really cheap price assets and the rest of the league probably isn't going to be able to match that in prior years. You'd see one team with some really good keepers. We're like, Oh, I, I, you can have that conversation. There's three or four other teams that have some really good ones. Well, here, I, I here's my hot take. Right now, Vandertai, 2022, locks up his very first buy ever. And, um, yeah, makes a little run. Top four finish for sure. I'll also use this airtime to apologize to Tyler because uh, Jeff had to do the apology tour to, to Nicholas Francis Bopes about him moving on to the finals. So hopefully his team next year doesn't meet the same fate as uh, Nick's team. So You'll hmm. stink. Yeah, so we've recapped the we've recapped the this the four playoff teams that, that are no longer in contention. Um, we kind of set this up for our next pod to really dive into the championship. Uh, we'll, we'll review that matchup and we'll have a really good conversation about the legacies of of, of who is the greatest 
manager slash team owner in Moneyball history because it's going to get decided this week, which is really, really cool. What's your final thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, it's going to get decided because it's going to be Jake, Durst, and myself, and I'll be the one talking about it. So this is no two-dog race here, all right? Your boy's getting in, and your boy's going to talk. I've got just as many reasons as either one of those guys to be our top guy. So I'm going to go mean, for it. Just a counterpoint, when your last championship butts up to Brendan's asterisk season on the trophy, I'm not sure if you're in that same realm. I'll let you chew on that. That's going to be my last – that's my last comment for the night. Um, but you can – I will give you the airtime to state your case as being one of the greatest in the league. Bullshit, man. <laughs> you're not, not going to give me that flat intro and expect me to say anything about it. I will say this. These are the two guys that I can honestly say are better than me at this, but I'm definitely third. And nobody can argue that. Numbers don't lie, boys. Flags fly forever. And that's all I got. All right. I don't think that Ambien kicked in quite as quickly as I had hoped. Uh, we had some self-gloss from Jeff Graves. We have an exciting, exciting championship matchup that we're going to get a review this entire week. Uh, cheer on our, our, our favorites. And hopefully we'll see maybe some uh, some side wagers happening uh, yes. in, in terms of the WhatsApp. Uh, maybe you can spark that. You gave a couple ideas. Maybe that you could give them a little bit better framework. Uh, we can get some agreement to those those wagers. But closing in on the finish of Moneyball, Veans and Gravy, appreciate you, you stopping by. Jeff, have a good night, buddy. Yeah, you too, Kyle. We'll see you next week Later. with a new title. <laughs> thank you for joining us on this week's beans and gravy if you like the content please rate review and subscribe next week we'll have a champion to declare we'll break down the entire championship week Maybe have a guest visit by the champion himself. We'll talk a little bit about Moneyball Legacies. Always remember to keep banging.